All right, Rabbi Osei, Gutevach, Guten May, the Piskatava, Gut Kvitel, Baruch Hashem. All right, let's uh, let's begin a lot a lot to do tonight, the Merz Hashem. So we'll say again, I want to begin the show with a little bit of a disclaimer. We had a little bit of a scheduling hiccup this afternoon, so I didn't get a chance to prepare today's shear. I was supposed to be preparing tonight's shear when I was giving today's shear. So I'm going to come to you tonight with a little bit of uh, with a, a little bit not not as prepared as I'd like to be normally. So. I brought my sons here with me. My son Avram was gonna, he offered to give shir tonight. But uh, I said, even better, you could just come in if I make a mistake, just yell at me. Right? It's, uh, so good. So I'll say with that, let us begin. Today's daf, I should say tomorrow's daf, Sunday's daf, Hoshana Rabbah's daf, is Kuf Beis. We are picking up at the Mishnah on Kuf Aleph Amabeis 101b, the new parak. Says the Mishnah. Interesting case. Ruvay marries Rachel. In this particular case, so what happens? Rachel brings with her a daughter into the marriage. Reuven's stepdaughter. Reuven agrees to support the stepdaughter for five years. So what's the If you make a commitment to support your stepdaughter for five years, you have to support her for five years. Okay. What happens to both in the interim during those five years? What happens? Rachel and Reuven get divorced. Rachel remarries. Rachel remarries. So what's Talachal? Rachel's a smart lady. So what happens? Rachel gets divorced from Ruvain. Rachel marries Shimon. And she makes the same stipulation with Shimon. That Shimon is going to support Rachel's daughter for five years. So now remember it again. So what happens? So Rachel has this agreement with Ruvain. And Rachel has this agreement with Shimon. Sorry, one second. Not sure. Second. Okay, so Rachel has this agreement with both of, sorry, with both of these individuals. Good, so what's the halacha? Chayiv lezona chameshanim. So ultimately, both Reuven and Shimon will be obligated to another commitment to support Rachel's daughter, their stepdaughter, for five years. Lo yoma harishon nechishetava etzli yezuna. Here's what's interesting. Reuven can't say, so now again, at this point in time, Rachel's married to Shimon. She has a stipulation with Reuven to support the daughter for five years, with Shimon to support the daughter for five years. So Reuven can't say, listen, I'm happy to support her, but if she wants support, she has to come to me. She has to come to me. He can't say that, right? Ultimately, again, Reuven has to go ahead and bring the Mizonos to wherever the girl is. Wherever she is, that's where the Mazonos have to be brought. Similarly, again, Reuven and Shimon can't team up and say, you know what, why should we both support her independently? Let's both agree to provide collectively 100% of her support, which means each of us will do 50%. Rather, one of them has to actually support her, give her Mazonos, and one of them gives her the value of the Mazonos. Okay? Niseis Habal. So I will say, I'm sorry, Niseis. What happens if she goes ahead and she gets married? Habal no sin la Mazonos. Vehein no sin la deme Mazonos. Ultimately, again, if now Rachel marries another time, so now husband number three will ultimately go ahead and support the daughter. And the other two individuals, Reuben and Shimon, are obligated to give her the value of Mazonos. Mesu, what happens again if Reuven and Shimon pass away? So at this point in time, I will say, just to understand the pool here, Reuven and Shimon pass away and there are two sets of children that are left. There are their own children. And then there is this girl who's the daughter of Rachel that both of them agree to support. So what's the Their daughters, Reuven and Shimon's own children, are supported from unencumbered properties. 
Interestingly enough, Rachel's daughter, the stepdaughter, she is supported even from encumbered properties, which we both say, which means what? Which means what? Then if let's say again the estate doesn't have enough money to be able to provide for Rachel's daughter, Rachel's daughter could literally go ahead and claw back sold properties. So again, Reuben and Shimon's own children, their own daughters, could only be supported from unencumbered properties. The stepdaughter could even go ahead and claw back encumbered properties in order to go ahead and support her. Why the distinction? To which the Lord said, Because ultimately, here's what's interesting. Reuven and Shimon's daughters, their children supported by the estate. Rachel's daughter is a creditor. Interesting, she's a creditor. So because she's viewed in halacha as a creditor, therefore she has the right to go ahead and seize even nechassim mishubadim. Incredible. Ha-pikchim ha-rikosim amanashe So interestingly enough, you could imagine, by the way, that this is a case that could occur with some degree of frequency. Right, if you think about it again, a man and wife, woman's getting married, couples getting married, second marriage. She's bringing kids into the marriage. At the end of the day, again, she wants to make sure that her kids are supported. She makes an agreement, essentially like a prenup, so to speak, with her husband regarding the support. So the Mishnah says the smart individuals, the smart guys, what would they do? They would say, "I'll agree to support your daughter as long as what calls man shaat imi, as long as you're with me." The, the you being Rachel, as long as we're married. As long as you're happy to support your daughter, but there is no support that extends beyond marriage. So I will say the novelty in the Mishnah here is, so when Reuven agrees to support Rachel's daughter for five years, one could make the cogent argument that what was Reuven's intent in agreeing to that? What was his intent? What was his intent? That they're going to remain married. Right? If you would have asked Reuven, Bishas Maisen, if you're not married, would you want to support her? He would say, of course not. But because he didn't stipulate that, therefore, even in the event of divorce, he is still bound to support this girl, Rachel's daughter. And ultimately, again, she becomes like a creditor to Reuven. Incredible. Says the Gemara Itmar, Homer the Chaveru Chaveni the Chamana, was an interesting case. Right? Reuven goes over to Shimon. He says, Shimon, I owe you a mana. I owe you a mana. So what's the halacha? What's the halacha? Rabbi Omer Chayiv, Rabbi Yochanan, sorry, Rabbi Yochanan Omer Chayiv, Rabbi Yochanan says, okay, you admitted that you owe someone money, that creates liability. Rish Lakish Omer Pater, Rish Lakish says, no, you're Pater. Okay, so what's going on over here? Hey, Chidami, and I will say, this is a fascinating shayla, because what's the shayla over here? A person makes an admission that they owe someone money. Is that admission halachically binding or not? See, have Rabbi Yochanan says yes, Reish Lakish says no. So watch this. Hey, Chidami, what's the case? So again, if Ruben's saying this in front of witnesses, and he's saying in front of witnesses, hey guys, you be my witnesses. Rashi says, You witness the fact that I, Ruben, am admitting to Shimon that I owe him $100, $1,000, right? So if you're calling upon people to testify the fact that you're being moda, or I should say, if, you're in, if you are bringing in edus, to the fact that you are being moda, you are here, you are here by admitting that you owe someone a thousand dollars, my time with the Potter. Why would that not create a binding obligation? Right? But if you're not saying in front of people, be my witnesses, that I owe, that I owe that Ruven that Ruben owes Shibba's money, my time is Rabbi Yochanan Chaif. Why Rabbi Yochanan ultimately say that you're Chaif? So what's going on over here? Supposed to see, you hear what's happening over here? Ruben, go, uh, let's keep it easy. I go over to Ruben and say, Ruben, I owe you $1,000. So Rish Lakish, Rabbi Yochanan says, I'm chayiv to pay him $1,000. Rish Lakish says, no, you're not chayiv. Someone says, what's the case? 
if I'm talking about a case where I, I, I go over to Ruvain and I bring over two witnesses and I say, witnesses, I'm being moda in front of you that I owe Ruvain $1,000. Why wouldn't that generate halachic liability? And if I'm not saying it in front of witnesses, then why would it generate halachic liability? So what's the case? The Olam So really, it's talking about a case. I'm not saying in front of people, be my witnesses that I, wrote, that I owe Ruvain money. I, if that's the case, then why would I owe him anything? Very interesting. I will say, what's the case? The case is where I'm going ahead and I'm telling Ruvain, look at Rashi. This is fascinating. Listen to this case. What's the case? I, I'm not calling any witnesses, but instead what I do is I give Ruvain a document. I give him a shtar. I give him a shtar. Now I'm giving him this shtar in front of other people. The shtar is not like a classic shtar. I say, right? Shtaros 101. What does a shtar usually need to have in order to make it enforceable? Signatures of witnesses. In this case, there's no, there are no witnesses. What, what, I'm, what I'm handing Ruven is a star in my handwriting. In my handwriting, saying that I owe him $1,000. Rashi says, So we'll say the idea over here is, but what's lacking? I didn't sign it. I didn't sign it. So I'm giving Ruven a document that says, I owe you $1,000. Right? It's in my handwriting. It does not have my signature, and it does not have witnesses' signatures on it. Okay, so watch this. Rabbi Yochanan, Amr Chayiv. Rabbi Yochanan says that now I'm Chayiv to go ahead and pay Ruben a thousand dollars. Alima milsa deshtara kiman do Amr luatem aedim. Because Rabbi Yochanan says this case of handing over a star in my handwriting to Ruben in front of people is the equivalent of saying to Ruben in front of witnesses and asking people to witness the fact. That I am, I am saying I owe Ruvain a thousand dollars. We'll say, what do we say before? If you, if I go over to Ruvain and I say, Ruvain, I owe you a thousand dollars, and I say, Hey, Shimon Levy, come over here. I want you to witness this. What's the halacha in that case? What's the halacha? Everyone agrees that I am now obligated to pay a thousand dollars to Ruvain because again, I brought in a testimonial unit to certify this idea. So Rabbi Yochanan comes along and says like this: hand, If I hand Ruvain a star that says I owe you a thousand dollars. I know, there's no signature on it, there are no witnesses on it, but I, it's in my handwriting. That's the equivalent of telling Ruvain in front of witnesses that I owe him $1,000 and therefore creates a binding obligation. That's Rabbi Yochanan. So Rish Lakish, Rish Lakish is potter. Lo alima milsa deshtara. Rish Lakish disagrees. Rish is not true, not true. Shtar in my handwriting without witnesses is not as strong as witnesses. And therefore, again, you, okay, it's very nice. You wrote it on a piece of paper, you owe Ruben $1,000. That does not create a halachically binding obligation. So I will say, this is the machlokas. This is the machlokas. So let's analyze. Let's analyze. So the Gemara says, um, good. So let's analyze. Thank you. So the Gemara is not going to bring in our Mishnah. What does the Mishnah say? So a man goes ahead and marries a woman, and again, he agrees to support her daughter for five years. He's obligated to go ahead and support her for five years. Now, I will say, what's missing from the Mishnah? What's missing from the Mishnah? What is the mechanism of his chayvos? In other words, what is the halachic mechanism through which the husband is bound to this promise? Right? He says to Rachel, Ruben marries Rachel, I'm going to support your daughter for five years. That's, that's very nice. That's very nice. How, how is he bound to that? 
So the Gemara says, My love, ki gavno? Well, say, are we not talking about a case over here where essentially what is he doing? Ruben writes down in a document, in his own handwriting, without his signature, without witnesses' signatures. And what does he write in it? What does he write in it? That again, I owe, I agree to support your daughter for five years. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, My love, ki gavno? So, Shemol Shalashtar Bifme'idim Vekasuv Boploni Kibel Alav Kach. Our Mishnah is talking about this same type of case where all Reuven is doing is writing in a document, Rachel, I agree to support your daughter for five years. Reuven doesn't sign it. There's no witnesses that sign it. And yet, what does the Mishnah say? What does the Mishnah say? That halacha What does that show you? That shows you that a document written in your own hand, own handwriting, even without your signature or witnesses' signatures, creates a binding obligation. Fascinating. To which the Gemara says, My love, Kagav, not top of Kufbez, we'll say 102a. Lo, Bishtar Psikta. Oh, watch this, Rabosa. This is fascinating. To which the Gemara says, No, no, no. We're talking about something different. Shtari Psikta. This is so exciting. Look at Rashi, Tap Rashi, Kufbez and Mudalif. Hachosan Vakala, Poskim Tenoim Shebenehem. Rabosa, it was very common for a Hassan and Kala to write Tenoim. Rabosa, isn't this incredible? You remember, right? Remember again your chasana? Remember your chasana? Right? You had tunaim. Anyone remember their tunaim? No. Anyone explain to you what your tunaim were? No. Right? You broke a plate. So everybody said mazel tov. No idea what's going on over here. I said, so remember again, it used to be that chasana and kala entered into contractual obligations with each other. Now often it was sometimes between a chasana and kala, but sometimes it was also between families. Families agreed, families agreed to support, to provide certain things for the chasana and kala, and they would enter into an agreement. This agreement is called Shtare Psikta. We call it Tenaim. So today, today, when we do Tenaim, it's more, uh, it's more ceremonial. Like the, the proof to that is, the proof to that is that, that if let's say you forgot to do Tenaim at the wedding, Shmorg was so good mm-hmm. that you forgot to do Tenaim. So what's Talacha? Still married? Yeah, 100%. That's about it. Also, you could be, I mean, don't tell anyone, but like you could be a little bit more flexible with who gets the keyboard. Also of signing on the Tinoim, right? Because in general, again, for the signing on the Ksuva, other Edus, you have to make sure that you have people who are, who are fit to be Edim. Tinoim, you have a little bit more flexibility. Now you have to be careful who you give that keyboard to. Hey, you're my Tinoim guy. You're my Tinoim guy, you know? So, 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 so again, this is called Shtari Psikta. Ukidrav Gila. So we'll say, listen to this. So the Gemara suggests over here that the case in the Mishnah of Ruben agreeing to support Rachel's daughter for five years is not a case where he's writing a document of support. This was part of the Tenoim. This was part of their premarital agreement to go ahead and do this. Rashi says, finish that Rashi. So this is actually very interesting. Shtari Psikta, by the way, like we do today, was a formally written document that spelled out obligations and witnesses signed on it. Witnesses signed on it. What's an example? How, bless you. How are starting to seek the structure? Listen to this. What would they say? What would happen? So the, the, way, the way that Shtari Psikta would work is, right? So the Chassan's family would say, how much are you giving to your son? So how much are you giving your daughter? And again, the parties, the families would agree to commit to a certain amount. Ultimately, again, then Kiddushin would occur. Now, what does Kanu mean? What does Kanu mean? Kanu means they made a kingdom. 
there was Kabbalah's king. And I will say, we do this to, we do this, to this day. By turn, there's Kabbalah's king. Because remember, again, in Halacha, we've seen this many times. Generally, obligations do not become, I should say, commitments do not become binding. Unless, of course, there's some type of Kenyan mechanism to make it binding upon you. Interestingly enough, the Gemara also says over here, but technically speaking, Tanaim could work even without a Kenyan. Forgive me, Kenyan. So remember again, what, what, if you ever see how does work at Tanaim, right? The Masadi Kiddushin goes over to the Chassan's father. What does he do? He gives him a pen or a yamak or something. He lifts it up. He's Makabal Kenyan. Same thing with the Kala, right? Kala's father. That's how we do Kabbalah's Kenyan. The Marge points out over here that, by the way, Tanaim works even without a Kenyan. He works out a Kenyan. The fact that you have a Shtar, and ultimately, again, the Shtar has Chasimah Sa'idim, has the signatures of witnesses on it, creates a binding obligation. So, both say, so just where we're holding right now, the way the Gemara is understanding the Mishnah's case, when Ruven goes ahead and commits to supporting Rachel's daughter, his Ruven's stepdaughter for five years, how, how is that arrangement being papered? Is that the right term? Being papered? You know, solidified. You know, you know how, how, how is it being memorialized? How is it, how, no, how is it becoming binding? To which the Gemara says, we must be talking about a case where this was included as part of the Tanaim. <clears throat> Tashma. So let's listen to this. Very interesting as well. So I go over to a coin. I go over to a coin. And I say to the coin, coin, I owe you five slime. And I both say, it happens to be also, there's a, what, what else do I have? I also happen to have a newborn baby who's now 30 days old who needs to be redeemed. Right? Pidyon Aben. So, and happens to how much is the, how much is the price for Pidyon Aben? Right? What's the value of Pidyon Aben? Five slime. So I go over to the coin. I say, right, cost of the coin. I write, I write in a document. I owe you five slime. So we'll say, what's that? What's that? So Chayyab Litein Lochamish slime. So now I'm obligated to go ahead and pay the coin five slime. Ubeno Eina Padui. But I will say, but my son is not redeemed. Okay. So we'll say, so what's going on over here? Now again, we just got finished saying that if you go ahead and you write in a document, you could create liability within a document. So why would this document not work? Shiny Hassam, the Meshubadaisa. It's different here. Why is it different here? Because at the end of the day, the obligation of Pidyon Aben is a Dindaraisa. So if that's the case, Ihachia my Kasav. So why am I writing this? What, what, what am I writing to the Kohen? To which the Gemara says, levarer lo Kohen. This is very interesting. Why am I filling out the document? It's almost like the document is like a promise to use this coin for the Peyon Aben. Right, so the document singles out this coin, this is who I'm using. If that's the case, then why is the child not redeemed? Okay, Rashi. If I have a star, right, and a star creates a biblically binding obligation, then why isn't that enough to go ahead and affect redemption of the firstborn? Oh, the boss said it's very interesting. A promissory note does not work for Pidyon Aben, right? If you go over to the Kohen, it's the Kohen, you got me? You got me? I owe you five slum. Redeem my kid. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Money has to exchange, money has to change hands between the father of the child and the Kohen. Umayt Sigmar says, if that's the case, if that's the case, then it's obvious that if I write a document saying that I owe a coin five zuz, five slime, of course my child's not redeemed. So why does the Gemara even need to bring this up? Umayt Taima, Amru Benoyin Apadui, 
out of a concern that if we don't explicitly say that the use of a shtar doesn't work, people might think that you could actually redeem your son with a shtar, with an IOU, which I will say again, and what would be the logic behind that? Because in many respects, documents do take on the same effectiveness as cash itself. So you might have thought that perhaps a document could go ahead and affect Pidyon Aben, Kamash Malon, it can't. Incredible. Amar Rav, Rav says, Kitanayin, so we'll say now we go back. Rav says, by the way, the Machlokas, Rabbi Yochanan and Rishon, so we'll say, let's, let's go all the way back, right? How, how do we start this sugya? Very exciting daf, very exciting daf. Rav says, how do we start this sugya? Machlokas, Rabbi Yochanan and Rishon, right? Remember again, what was the Machlokas? What was the Machlokas? We, we did it 23 minutes ago, right? What, what does the Machlokas? If I go ahead and I go over to Reuven, and I say to Reuven, what? What do I say to him? I, now I'm giving you, now I'm giving you, but rather again, I owe you money. I owe you money, right? So remember again, what's the shayla? What's the shayla? Does that create a binding halachic obligation upon me to pay Ruvain? Right? So this is my focus, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says yes, Reish Lakish says no. So says the Gemara, Amar Rav Kitanoi. The truth is, my focus, Rabbi Yochanan, Lakish is really a machlokis tanoin. What was it? Where's the case? Arif Hayotza Acharachitim Shtaris. But say, this is fascinating. Imagine for a moment you have a loan document, right? In the loan document, it says, I loaned Ruvain $1,000, okay? Beautiful document, well written, right? All the, le- all the legalese is appropriate. You have the signatures of the witnesses. And then you have something interesting. You have a guarantor's signature below the witness's signature. Now, I both say, normally in Shtaras, What's the right? The last thing you normally have on a document is what is the signature of the witnesses. That, 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 that's what you have. So this is very this is very intriguing because here I have the guarantor signing after the witnesses. What's talachovirus? That's arif hayotze acharchitum shtaros, a guarantor who signs after the witnesses, below the witnesses. What's talachah? Govem enechasim enechorin. Very well said. So now let's say Ruvain defaults on the loan. Ruvain defaults on the loan. So now. Because as a guarantor, I can go to the guarantor, but I am limited as to what type of property I could collect from, from the guarantor. I can only take from the guarantor unencumbered property and cannot take encumbered property from him. Look at Rashi. This is fascinating. You see, generally when you guarantee something, a guarantor is kind of like being a borrower. And just like a borrower, everything he has is encumbered. So being a guarantor, everything he has is encumbered as well. Except that's only if you're a guarantor in the normal course of things embedded in the star. Because this guarantee is a little bit different, it's after the signatures of the, of the witnesses, there's on, there's not, there, there's an, there is not a complete claim against the guarantor. The only thing you could extract is unencumbered property, but you cannot extract encumbered property from the guarantor. Fascinating. My Sibal, if there be Shmuel, so this, an episode like this once came up in front of Rabbi Shmuel, and what happened? Rabbi Shmuel said, yeah, correct. You could collect from this guarantor from unencumbered property. Bananas said, no. Bananas disagreed. Bananas said, no. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If you, if all you have is a guarantor, both sides, essentially what is Banana saying? What's the impact of a guarantor who signs below the signatures of witnesses? What's the impact of that? Right? What's the impact of that? The impact of that is zero. That's not a guarantor. There's no, in other words, anything that happens on a document below the signatures of the witnesses is simply non-binding. 
simply non-binding. Therefore, Aloha Lamai said that guarantor is not on the hook at all. Amrlo, so the Gemara says, Amrlo, uh, I'm sorry, Amrlo, Lema Amrlo. So, so that's the case again at the end of the day. Was, I'm sorry, Amrlo, Lama Amrlo, so, so Amrlo, sorry, Lama Amrlo, Hari Shahaya Chonik Es Chavera B'Shuk, Umatza Chavera. This is an interesting, extreme example. I'm walking in the marketplace and I see, I see Ruvain choking Shimon. And what happens? Why? Of course, it makes sense because Shimon owes him money. And he hasn't paid for a long time. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Hey, so, so what happens? So, right, so Ruvain's choking. I want to go on record. I do not condone physical yeah. violence, even for the extraction of debts, unless it's a big debt or yeah. owed to the shul. Okay, so yeah. says, follows. Simara says, what happens? So, I, right, so I'm walking in the marketplace. I see Ruvain choking Shimon, choking Shimon. So what happens? And I say, Ruvain, Ruvain, leave Shimon alone. I'll pay you. I'll pay you. So I say, so fine, Ruvain releases Shimon, he comes to me for payment, and what do I say, what do I say to Ruvain? What do I say to Ruvain? Just kidding. Just see ya, right? See ya, see ya. I, 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 I'm Potter. Why? Because we'll say, it's very important, because we've seen, this, we've seen examples of this before. Loan agreements are a, or loan, loans are a unique relationship between a lender and a borrower. And that relationship is affected at the time that the loan is made. If a third party seeks to introduce themselves sometime later on transaction, or sometime later on in the transaction, that third party doesn't really become a party to the loan. See, even though I said to Ruvain, Ruvain, let go of Shimon, right? Let go of Shimon. Oh, something happened here. Let go of Shimon. All right, I give up. I give up. I don't know. It's not. Uh... I know, but one second, let me just see. Maybe it's shut off over here. It's on over there. Oh, it's not plugged Okay, whatever. It's all good. All right. All right, we're back. Fine. Whatever it is. All right. Yeah, it's okay. All right. So, so therefore, the Gemara says like this. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says, therefore, again, even though I go ahead, I discovered what that wire was for. By the way, we had that. Uh, good. I was doing this with my voice. We found this wire, a mysterious wire that no one knew was for. Okay, found it. Anyway, so, 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 the, so the Gemara says as follows. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says that even though I tell Ruvain, Ruvain, leave Shimon alone, leave Shimon alone, and ultimately I'll pay you, that ultimately, again, Ruvain has, Ruvain has no claim against me. So say, why is this important for us? The Gemara is comparing this with the case of an Araif, of a guarantor, who signs below the signatures of the witnesses. What's the effect of signing below the signatures of the witnesses? You're introducing yourself transactionally too late. And therefore, again, Banana says such a guarantor really doesn't have any type of real obligation. Incredible. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, good. So we should say maybe Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan holds like Rabbi Shmuel. And Rabbi Shlakish holds like Bananas. 
To which the Gemara says, Aliba de Ben Nanas Kuli Amalopligi. So according to Ben Nanas, ultimately again everyone agrees that what? That Alokalamaisa, if I say to Ruvain, right, with a star, with an unsigned star that is in my handwriting, and I say, Ruvain, I owe you a thousand dollars, everyone agrees that according to Ben Nanas, such a person is Potter. So the Gemara says, Ahmed Bey's Kipligi, where does the Machlokis come up? Aliba de Bishma. Ultimately, again, I will say, up until now, at Khan, up until this point, Rabbi Shmuel only said his position when we're talking about a Shibu Daraisa. But here in this case, this is not talking about a biblical lemur, a biblical shibud. Okay, Stefan Rabosai, the Gemara says that essentially the Machlokis of Yochanan Shlokish does not line up with the Machlokis Tanoim. Beautiful. So the goes by to Gufa, Amorav Gidl, Amorav. So Rav Gidl is the name of Rav. Rabosai, going back now to our Shtari Psikta. Back to our. Back to our. Um, Tanoim, thank you. Shtari Psikta. So the Gemara says, so what was the Shtari Psikta? Kama Atanos in the Bincha, Kach the Kach. How much jait, how much are you giving to your son? So and so and so, right? Such amount. Kama atanos in the bitcha, kach the kach, amdu vikidshu. So then again, they went forward with the kiddushin, kanu. Ultimately, again, the, pa- the parties, in this case, it's the two sets of parents, acquire upon themselves the obligations for the two couples. So the Gemara says, Hein, hein, hadvarim haniknim ba'amira. And ultimately, again, these are things Rabbi said that are committed to, even without a kinyan. That's the chab over here. Even without a kinyan, these are things which are committed to. Amar Rav, Rav says, Mistabra milsa dirav. So let's listen to this. So the novelty over here is, they're committing, they're putting this down in, it sounds like they're putting, right, they're putting this down in writing. But there's no Kenyan to go ahead and affect, and affect actual, actual acquisition. But again, you don't need a Kenyan for this. So the Gemara says, Amar Rav, Mistabra milsa dirav. When do we say ultimately again, that such an agreement works without a Kenyan? Bebito Nara. Interestingly enough, in what kind of case? With a daughter who's a Nara. Or a daughter who's a Nara. Why? Because it was at the end of the day, at the end of the day, for a Nara, who gets her Kesef Kiddushin, right? Who gets the betrothal money? The father. So the father is willing to commit himself to any financial obligations because he's receiving, what's the word? It's not called benefit. It is in, in, in transactions you have this. Consideration. He's right. Is that the right term? Right? Seth, I see you shaking your head. Good, right? Receive consideration. Right? So because the father receives consideration, i.e. the Kesef Kiddushin of his Nara daughter, that's why it could work. Ava Bogeres. But if a father is marrying off his Bogeres daughter, where who gets to keep the Kesef Kiddushin? She keeps her own Kesef Kiddushin. Delo Mati day. Ultimately, again, the Kesef Kiddushin doesn't come to the father. Lo. Ultimately, again, such a document would not work without a formal Kenyan. So we'll say, so just to understand what's happening over here. The Gemara introduced us today to the concept of Shtari Psikta, which is what we call conventionally or presently, colloquially, Tinoim. That parents, families are engaging, are, are, are entering into financial agreements with each other. The novelty that Rav is advancing is that this creates a binding obligation even without a Kenyan. The Gemara comes along and says, oh, by the way, that must only be in a situation where the girl is in Nara. So the father, at least of the Kala, enters in with this with the consideration he's receiving from the Kesef Kiddushin. But if it's a Bulgaris, right, an adult woman who gets to keep her own Kesef Kiddushin, it must be that you require a Kenyan in order to make this binding. It says the Gemara, listen to this, to which the Gemara, 
But one second, Rav said, no, this works. And such an agreement works without a Kenyan, even if the Kala is a Bulgaris. To which the Yomar said, because if you don't say this, because I'll say, remember again, you only look at the Kala's perspective. But again, obviously, this agreement doesn't require any type of consideration. How do I know that? How do I know that? What is the father of the Chassan getting? Right? The father of Hassan, there's no money that's coming to him. So obviously to make this a binding obligation, it must be that there is no consideration that's necessary. Ella, rather, what do you have to say? Bahi hano, the kamachasni adadi, gamri umakni lahadadi. That was is interesting. So w- what is it? It's the hano that each of the families receive. From what? From the knowledge that their children are marrying each other that allows them, both parties, the husband's family and the wife's family, to fully commit to whatever financial obligations are being outlined over here. Umakni lahadadi. So I say, so I just want to point out how fascinating this is. So what the Gemara is suggesting over here is the concept of tenoim, or what we're calling shtari psikta, which are families entering into financial agreements with each other. Rav said, this is committed to writing, but it doesn't require a Kenyan. Doesn't require a Kenyan. Where else in halacha do we find creation of binding obligations without a Kenyan? To which the Gemara says, this is different. Why? Because since each of the parties have hano from the fact that what? Their children are entering into matrimony together. They go ahead and they commit themselves with the hano of the, or because of the hano of the upcoming wedding. Fascinating. Fascinating. There was earlier Rabbi Larabashi. So it's a very interesting discussion. Look at Rashi. So it's an interesting question. So now, now I've been introduced to the Ishtari Psikta that are put down in writing, but there's no Kenyan. So tell me, is there a problem committing it to writing and having witnesses sign on it or not? Or not? Or no, 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 he said, no, they were not given, they were not given to go ahead and be put into writing with signatures of witnesses. Now both say, understand, what does it do if you paper something with witnesses? What does that do? What does that do? That makes it into an enforceable claim, which means let's say Hassan's family defaults on their side of things. What's that locha now? Kala's family could go after them and could collect even from what? Potentially what? Encumbered properties. Nechassim mishubadim. So the Gemara is asking like this. We have this beautiful thing called Tinoim. It's a beautiful thing called Tinoim. Right? The families are committing to each other. Right? Chassim's family is doing X and Kala is doing his family is doing Y. And what happens? You don't even need a Kenyan. Why don't you need a Kenyan? Why don't you need a Kenyan? Why not? Everyone is so happy and so excited that they're getting married that they commit themselves to that Hanah. So now what does the Gemara say? Okay. Can we put it? Can we put it in a formal star? Could we put witnesses on it? Right? Why? Well, because this is an incredible thing. In other words, why would I want to paper it with Aiden? Because right now everybody is happy-go-lucky. Right? But Lamaisa, if somebody doesn't come through, the other party might want an enforceable star. So can we commit this in writing with Aiden or not? Which the Gemara says, to which Ravina, to, I'm sorry, to which Ravashi answered, I'm sorry, to which, to which, uh, yeah, to which Ravashi answered, no. You cannot, you cannot put it down in writing with witnesses. So raise the cash on this. The end of the Mishnah said what? Ruvain Wright committed to support Rachel's, Rachel's daughter for five years. So the smart guys, what did they do? What did they do? They went ahead and they put a tenai in this document. And in the document they wrote, 
I'll support your daughter for five years as long as what? As long as what? We're still married. So the Gemara says, my kosvin. So I will say, so again, this seems to be, this seems to be a similar type of case. And here again, it sounds like the husband is papering it with witnesses. So why couldn't you do the same thing by Tanoim? Tanoim says, no, 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 my kosvin, omrim. No, 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 what does it mean when it says that he writes it? It doesn't mean he writes it. Rather, what does it mean? He said it. He said it. So the Gemara says, Karilila, Amira, Ksiva. Do we call saying writing? In Right, if a man says to a, literally translated as, if a man writes to his wife, I want nothing to do with your property. And if he says it means he's not writing it down, but rather what is he doing? He's saying it to his wife. So Tashma, let's analyze. What's very interesting? You can't write Shtare Erisin and Nisun without the consent of both parties, without the Das. Of both parties. Okay. So the Gemara says, Hamidas shneim kosvin. But it sounds like if both parties consent, you could paper these agreements. My love started psikta. Are we talking about tenoim? And you see from here that what about say? That as long as both of the parties agree, what can you do? Paper the tenoim. And not just that, but what else? What else? Have witnesses sign on it. To which the Gemara says, No. What are we talking about? Lo shtari eris in mamish. We're talking literally about shtari eris. Let's remember again. There are three ways in which, which Kiddushin could be affected. One of those ways is a shtar, right? The husband could write to his wife, Hari'at mikudeshes li bishtar zu, and he gives her a document. So that's what we're talking about when we said that a shtar can only be written with the consent of both parties. Let's say he wrote a shtar erisin, a document of erisin for this particular woman, but, but without her knowledge. Rabbi and Rabina says it could work. Rabbi say, obviously, when it says it could work, she has to agree to get married. The point over here is the star was written without her knowledge. So Rabbi and Rabina say it's fine. Rabbi and Rabina say, no, no, no. In order for star Eresin to work, it has to what? It has to be written with the consent of the knowledge and the consent of the woman. Okay. So Rabbi say, good. Tashma, Tashma, Mesu, We'll say again, remember, what did we learn before? The Mishnah. Go back to the Mishnah's case. Go back to the Mishnah's case. So we'll say, I'll just, I'll just, oh, let's finish up. So we, the Mishnah said that what happens if Rachel was married to Ruvain, makes the five-year agreement for Rachel's daughter, for Rachel's daughter with Ruvain. Fine. And then what happens? And then what happens? They get divorced, right? Rachel marries Shimon, same agreement with Shimon. Now what happens? Ruvain and Shimon both die. So now we'll say, so now what happens? Ruvain and Shimon also have their own daughters. So what did the Mishnah say? Reuven and Shimon's own daughters could collect support from unencumbered properties, but Rachel's daughter, Reuven and Shimon's stepdaughter, has the ability to collect support even from, even from encumbered properties. Even from encumbered properties. To which the Gemara says, Because ultimately, again, Rachel's daughter, the stepdaughter, she's a creditor. She's a creditor. So we'll say, what's the case over here? Bishakano miyado. We'll say this must be a case where Reuben and Shimon made a Kenyan with Rachel on behalf of her daughter. Oh, so there's a Kenyan. There's a Kenyan. Kenyan creates a bona fide transactional obligation, in which case, again, now she's a bona fide creditor, right? The stepdaughter. And that's why she has the ability to collect even from the Chasim Meshubadim. Ihachi Banos Nami. If that's the case, daughters as well. Why, 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 why? In other words, uh, we're assuming if he's doing a Kenyan with his stepdaughter, he's doing a Kenyan with his daughters also. Therefore, they should also be able to collect from encumbered properties. 
Ultimately, again, he did a Kenyan with his stepdaughter. Reuben and Shimon did Kenyan with uh, Rachel's daughter, but didn't do a Kenyan with their own daughters. Umay Paska, Ihi. So we'll say, my Paska, why do you make this assumption that that's how this is set up? Twitch Gimar says, I'll tell you why. Ihi, the Havi Bishas Kenyan, Mahani Le Kenyan. Banos, the Lo Havi Bishas Kenyan, Lo Mahani Le Kenyan. Because we'll say, Bipashtos, the stepdaughter, right? The stepdaughter was alive at the time of Reuben's marriage to Rachel. So because she's present right, at the time of the marriage, therefore, Allah it makes sense to say that the agreement that Reuben made with Rachel on behalf of Rachel's daughter's behalf was made with the Kenyan. Reuben and Shimon's own daughters, they come around later on. So Bipashtos, most parents don't make formal obligations to go and support their kids. Maybe not. Why can't you just as easily set it up that Reuben is marrying Rachel, Rachel has a step, Rachel has a daughter, so Reuben has the, and Reuben's daughters are there also. In other words, why do you have to assume that it's the case of Reuben's daughters being born later on? Why can't Reuben's daughters be around also? The Hechi Dami, what's the case? Kigon the Garsha, the Hadra, maybe he divorces and remarried her. Ela Ihi, the Lessa Betanai Bezdin, Mahani Lakinian. This is very interesting. The stepdaughter, the stepdaughter, who is not covered by the Tanai Bezdin. I both say, what Tanai Bezdin are we talking about? The Tanai Bezdin, which is actually one of the Tanai Ksuva, which is that a father agrees to support his daughters from the estate, right? As much as sons inherit the estate, daughters are supported from the estate. That's a Tanai Bezdin. So Ruin and Shimon's own daughters, who ultimately, again, by definition, their support is covered by the Tanai Bezdin, ultimately, again, Mahani, so I'm sorry. So let's, let's, let me say it differently. Ella, Ihi, Delesim, Tanai Bezdin, Rachel's daughter, Reuben and Shimon's stepdaughter, who is not covered by the Tanai Bezdin, Mahani Le Kenyan. A Kenyan works for her. Banos, the Isnu, Tanai Bezdin, but ultimately, again, their own daughters, their own daughters who are covered by the Tanai Bezdin, Lo Mahani Luhu Kenyan. A Kenyan doesn't work for them. To which the Gemara says, Really? Migra Gari? So you're telling me now that a stepdaughter has stronger rights than, than, a, than an actual daughter? So I suppose, all right, let's get this straight. So the steps, right? So the, the, regu- the, the, the actual daughters, they're covered, they, they are guaranteed support through a Tanai Beisdin, but their support is limited to what? Limited to what? Nechassim and unencumbered properties. Stepdaughter, who's not covered by Tanai Beisdin, but Reuven Shimon make an obligation to the supporter, she gets to even collect from what? From what? Nechassim and Shubatim, encumbered properties. So essentially what you're telling me is that a stepdaughter has stronger rights than an actual daughter. Ella binosav hainu taima kevan de isnu betnai beizdin emar tsrari atvesinu. Oh. I will say, here's the difference. The reason we don't let, this is actually fascinating, the reason we don't let Reuven and Shimon's actual daughters collect support from encumbered properties is why? A father loves his children. A father loves his children. So what do we assume that perhaps, or, or what is possible that Reuven or Shimon did during that? Let's go with Reuven. What do we assume that Reuven did during, or what could, what, what could possibly have happened during Reuven's lifetime? What did he do for his daughters? A little bit of cash here, a little bit of cash here, something here, something there. That's so possible. That's so possible. So because, because there's a strong possibility that a father gave his daughter, gave his child different things over his lifetime, when he dies, if there's nothing left in the estate to provide for support, we'll let the children go after unencumbered property, the daughters. But we will not let them go after encumbered properties because it's just as possible that their father really gave them what they needed to live on during his lifetime. 
But of course, that logic doesn't apply to who? Doesn't apply to To the stepdaughter. Therefore, again, the stepdaughter, now both said, obviously in the stepdaughter case, this is presupposing Ruvain made an agreement. Remember again, in the absence of an agreement, once Ruvain dies, or for that matter, again, Rachel and Ruvain divorce, Ruvain has no more obligations towards that, towards that stepdaughter. This is talking about a case where he entered into a legal agreement with the stepdaughter. In a circumstance like that, she, she's a creditor now. She's a creditor. And she can even go ahead and collect from encumbered properties. One's own children, one's own daughters are entitled to support from the estate, but only from unencumbered properties. Why? Because the father loves his children. And it's possible that ultimately during his lifetime, he gave them money to which to support themselves even after his death. I will say, by the way, I just want to point out one incredible Gemara to learn on Hoshana Rabbah. Right, Hoshana Rabbah, Hoshana Rabbah is the end. The Zohar brings down that it's really on Hoshana Rabbah that judgment is closed. Right, we think it's Yom Kippur, it's not Yom Kippur. HaKadosh Baruch who keeps the books of judgment open up until Hoshana Rabbah, hoping that Amir Hashem, if we didn't get our act together by Yom Kippur, ultimately again, what'll happen? What'll happen? Hashem will give, give it, will, will pull it together now. So we'll say, isn't this an incredible Gemara? What is the Gemara saying? A father loves his children so much that he always gives them stuff. He always gives them stuff, right? No father, no father is going to be stingy with his children. Always give them. I will say, is there any greater example of that than Hoshana Rabbah? Here, right, we have a whole workup. It's Chodesh Elul. And then there's Rosh Hashanah. Aser Tshuva. And it all comes to an end. When does it all come to an end? Yom Kippur. No, it doesn't. A father keeps giving to his children. A father, Tatala, Mamala, you need a little extra time? I'll give you to Hoshana Rabbah. And I will tell you a secret. It doesn't end Hoshana Rabbo, because really the Zohar says it really stays open until when? Shmini Atzeres, and the Sfarim bring down, that really the gates of Tshuva are open until when? Chanukah, and the Vashan Devakadish says it's not true, it's really open until Tu Bishvat, because Tu Bishvat, the Mishnah says, is Rosh Hashanah Le'ilon, Le'ilon. What's Le'ilon? Kia Adam Eitz Hasadeh. Man, man is like a tree of the field. So two bishvat, two bishvat. And one second, it's not really two bishvat. It's really open until Purim. Because what is Purim about? Purim is the dime of second chances. Kimu v'kiblu, an opportunity for an opportunity to get it together. And then the truth is, then after Purim, it's still not closed. There's Pesach. Pesach chag geula senu. Right? Pesach hachodesh hazeh lochem. Hischadshus renewal. And then again, Pesach is not closed because it's Siyah Sa'omer. Work yourself up to Kabbalah Satora. And I will say, by the time it's Pesach, it's pretty much Elul already. Right? Right? So, I'm sorry. Like, like Lahavdil 7 11, right? Right. No, because what's, what's the 11? What's the 11 in 7 11? They used to. Oh, you see? Okay, good. Good. Lahavdil Elif Afi Rivi Abdullahs. Now you will say, but what's the idea? The father always gives his children. Always. I will say, that is the whole Yisod of Hoshana Rabbah. Father always continues to give his children. A father always wants his children to be happy. Father always wants to see. Sometimes the greatest misconception we have is a God who stands in judgment and we think like the judge wants us to fail. Do you know how Kaddish Baruch Hu looks at us? What does you know how Kaddish Baruch Hu looks at us? When he looks at us, you know what he says? Like, like Lahavdil, like with the banks, you're too big to fail. You're too big to fail. You're too great. I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm your God. I know I'm the judge. You're too big to fail. So I'm gonna do. Hashem is gonna do whatever He has to do to ensure that I don't fail. 
And if that means constantly keeping the door of tshuva open longer and longer and longer, oh, okay, Sminyatzeres, Shoshana Rabbah, Chanukah, Tu B'Shivat, Purim, whatever I have to do, HaKadosh Baruch whispers in our ear, you're too big to fail. I believe in you. And I'm going to keep giving you. I'm going to keep helping you. I'm going to keep giving you these little beautiful matanas of extra time until you finally find the courage to get it together. If it's not Ashkacha Pratis to learn a Gemara like this on Lel Hashan Rabbah, this is the message that Chalash Baruch Hu is giving to us. We'll say, I'll just end off, so I'll end off with that, but I'll just tell you, just Halacha Lamaisa, actually, the truth is, we'll say the Halacha Lamaisa, Emir Hashem, for, for Yom Tiv. We'll stop over here with the, with the Hashkacha Lamaisa. We'll see, here's what I just want to tell you. Next year is Shemini Atzeres. It's going to be a little bit earlier on Shemini Atzeres. We have a little bit of a different schedule. I think it's like 4.30. And then Simchas Torah. It's not easy to come to Daf 4.30 Yom Tov afternoon. And it's not easy to come to Daf on Simchas Torah afternoon for a whole variety of different reasons. Right? Say, but I just want to tell you, we have ridiculously incredible Gemara coming up in the next couple of days. Like, ridiculously incredible. So it's Kedai. And the truth is, now that we know that the Father is giving us a little extra, a little extra to help us be successful... We should be good children. And if our Father is giving us, then Amir Hashem, we should find a koach to give him a little bit more as well. I will say, shkoyach, shkoyach, a good a piskatav, a good kvittel. Shkoyach.